Hey everyone, I'm Todd Wayne along with Ronnie Healan. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Paranomaly Podcast, home for all things paranormal supernatural. Coming up on this episode of Paranomaly, we're talking with Alan Cornelison, who is a paranormal investigator with Dark River Paranormal and author of the book In Too Deep. So grab yourself a drink and a snack, turn the lights off on the way back, find yourself a nice comfy spot, and enjoy this episode Paranomaly. Stay with us, folks. Going to be a good one. All right, Alan, can you hear us now? Yeah, I hear you, everybody. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? I I can. I can hear you. So thank you for for being on our show. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I am from the great state of Iowa, kind of a boring metropolitan state for paranormal activity. But uh, that's that's where I home myself at. And uh, I work for Ace Hardware. Um, not a very exciting guy. And I also write a little bit, uh, paranormal, nonfiction paranormal. So you, you are, you do have a group, right? It's, uh, no, I do not. I used to, Oh, okay. Um, okay. At one point I, I had a name called, uh, wanna paranormal has been several years ago. Um, it's, it was a native American word that meant spirit or ghost. Okay. And, and I shed that name. Uh, shortly after I returned back to my hometown of Ankeny uh, and started over, and uh, I just wanted to get rid of all that loose baggage, so to speak, that had anything related to that place that I was investigating. And I came up with the name Dark River Paranormal, uh, and it basically because that's what it was. It was a very dark river that I was traveling in in those seven years of what I refer to as hell. And uh, so I investigate my, uh, by myself. Uh, I had a few people that's kind of gave me a nickname of Lobo, uh, being the lone investigator and uh, doing my own thing. Awesome. So, Alan, what got you into the paranormal? What got me into the paranormal? Well, it's kind of in the book. I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not, which is fine. Uh, I lost my, my uh, mother's or my daughter's mother many years ago, back in the eighties, early eighties. Uh, and, uh, it was just me and my daughter. Um, and, uh, there was one evening that I'd put her, uh, my daughter to bed. It was within months after, uh, we'd lost her. And, uh, I was, uh, watching WWF wrestling on some, on a TV set, an old black and white TV set. And uh, I could hear her playing in her room. I, I put her to bed, my daughter to bed, and and I just kind of let it go. You know, I wasn't going to be that hard ass father that, you know, hey, get to sleep. You know, you got to get up in the morning. You know, I just kind of let it go. You know, being that, you know, trying to be a good father. You know, sure. single parent. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I got up my chair finally, and I, I walked down this little narrow hallway, of this mobile home that we lived in. Yeah, fully expecting to see her playing with a My Little Pony on her bed. And there she was 
and she was sitting on the side of her bed, her little legs dangling off the edge. And I peeked in at her and I said, you know, hey, it's time to go to sleep, sweetheart. You know, lay down, go to sleep. And I turned and I walked away and I just kind of stopped and I turned again and, and I walked back into the room. I said, you just, just, just asked a question, you know, who are you talking to? And with the most matter of fact voice and the little chubby pointy fingers, she just kind of pointed towards the closet and in the most matter of fact way said, mommy. And I just, it just, it it freaked me out. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a farm boy, you know, I mean, I'm very matter of fact in, in everything that goes on, you know, either it either there or it isn't. And, you know, I, of course, certainly I I wanted to see what she was seeing and and there was nothing there. I I, I couldn't see anything and I had a lump in my throat. I was angry. I had a whole wash of emotions that were, that were raging through my mind. And uh, the next thing you know, I'm finding myself down to the nearest library and trying to figure out what this thing called the paranormal was all about and why children could see it and I couldn't, why she was able to see something that I wanted so desperately to see yeah. and maybe say I love you to one more time. Oh. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's, how it all, that's how it got started um, in a nutshell version. Nice. So you, you had this experience and that put you on that path, correct? It did, um, but it was a selfish path at the time. Um, as I said, I was beginning to start kind of study and, and try to figure out what this was all about. And back in those days, there really wasn't a lot out there as far as, you know, paranormal groups and, and literature on the paranormal. There was a few magazine articles on, on the Warrens. Right. And, yeah. you know, and I read as much as I could, you know, about that. And of course, along that little, that little trail, that little journey, you get people that, you know, are are interested a little bit in what you're doing. And and next thing you know, they're saying, Hey, you know, I know somebody that thinks they have a ghost in your house or or their house. And you've been kind of, you know, studying this stuff. You want to go check it out. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe this is a good way for me to connect to, you know, what I wanted to see so desperately. Right. And, and so one thing led to another and I, I was working in construction. I've known construction and, you know, building most of my life. And I used those abilities to understand and debunk uh, paranormal phenomenon, I guess. And I discovered that I was helping people. And all of a sudden, my own personal needs and wants turned into something different. It turned into watching somebody have this relief wash across their face, knowing that it wasn't wasn't something paranormal that was going on. But often, you know, there was things that did happen that I just didn't have an explanation for. Sure. And I, I found a little bit of fulfillment out of that, out of that, that one little short statement from my daughter. And that was mommy. And it turned into something much larger. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. an amazing story. Yeah, definitely. So now you, Taking that information, you um, continued on to help people, correctly? And then and then you decided to write a book. Well, no, I didn't actually decide to write the book. Okay. You know, I, I investigated. I started doing this in 1982. Okay. So to date, to date, it would be, what, four decades. And in approximately 2012, 
um, I moved to a small town, me and my wife, a little town called Ida Grove, Iowa. And her mother lived there. Her mother wasn't doing well. Um, the doctors had told us that, you know, they didn't think that she was going to live much longer than a few months. She was in pretty bad shape. And so we essentially sold everything, my, my wife and I, and we moved up to her house. The idea was that once she passed, you know, the idea was with her mother that we would just sell whatever she had and then we would move back to Ankeny and, and, and carry out our lives. Well, that seven weeks or whatever we thought it was going to be turned into seven years. Oh, wow. And, and during that time, um, I had discovered through, uh, he's passed on now, um, my uh, wife's uh, nephew, Andy, this place, this little place in the woods called the Stagecoach Inn in Moorhead Park. And I, I seen this place uh, on a little tour that Andy, that's what his name was, took me. You know, I, was, I was a deer hunter. You know, I love hunting deer. And, and he took me to this park and, and, and as the story goes in the book, I spotted this 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 building, this remarkable looking building. And I asked Andy, I said, what's this all about? And he said, oh, that's the old stagecoach inn. He says, you know, it's been here for a long time. It was built in 1857. And, of course, my spidey senses, I guess you could say, you know, being a paranormal investigator, you know, because I'd done these little what I called one night stands for many, many years, you know, investigating this house or that house and finding, you know, essentially really nothing outside of an essential squirrel or a raccoon in the basement. Right. But, uh, I thought, wow, you know, what if, you know, is this, this is, this is probably the oldest place I've ever even been related this close to in my entire life. And so I went to the historical society and I asked about a tour, just to, just a tour, just to see the inside of it. Um, and a gentleman by the name of Steve Wilkins, who is the president of this society, he uh, granted me that wish and he gave me the, the nickel tour of the end and, and, uh, fascinating things you know he told me about the native american burial tree that was that was on the property that the sioux had buried their dead and then he told me about the shoe that was found in the in the walls upon restoration of the end and you know thinking it was fascinating and of course i related shoes to being the walls to keep evil out of presence out of out of locations and i related that to the native american tree and building a structure on sacred native ground and and of course my mind and my is just racing i'm thinking you know with with this kind of negativity with the native american aspect of things there might be something actually going on here right yeah and so i i again went to the historical society and i asked them i said you know, is there any way I, I could investigate this? I, I didn't come off as a paranormal investigator, rather a paranormal researcher. I researched the paranormal. And uh, they, the historical society said, yeah, that'd be fine. You know, that'd be pretty cool if the if the Moorheads, you know, who, who, who built the inn was actually there. You know, having that presence around would be kind of, you know, uh, a really cool addition to the, the, the tours of, of this remarkable, you know, historic location. So anyway, to make a long story short, they granted me the permission to investigate that place as I refer to it now. And it was on the third night that, uh, 
my life was turned around. Something tugged on the back of my coat very harshly and abruptly. I caught it on video, in fact. Wow. And I also caught the, the voice thereafter when I asked if someone was in the room with me. And this very small, childlike voice says, yes, uh-huh, it was me. And it was from that point I was I was hooked. And for the next seven years, uh, I began going down a very dark, deep hole and and losing sight of myself, my spirituality, uh, everything to do with God. Uh, it was it was a it, it turned out to be a horrible thing. And once I left there, once I finally was able to escape the inn after seven years, uh, a gentleman by the name of you might know him, Daniel Class, who owns the Hinsdale House. Yes, yes. Um, he says, Alan, he says, you need to write a book about all these stories and all these videos you captured. And I said, I have no idea how to write a book. He said, ah, I know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. And, and uh, I'll hook you up. And so he did. He hooked me up. And and uh, I wrote the first book, and it was called Ghosts and Legends of the Stagecoach Inn. And it was somewhat successful. But then here in the past couple of years, and I, of course, I'll get, I could get further into it. I discovered he was doing some, some things that were rubbing me the wrong way. And I also found out that, uh, he was, <laughs> he was the minister of the church of Satan, my oh, publisher. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So not only I tell people now, not only did I investigate hell, but hell, but, uh, my, my publisher was a disciple of Satan. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, so I ended up um, breaking our contract and then rewriting the book uh, much better than it was originally done, and I called it In Too Deep. And uh, the reason I called it that was because I was. I was well in over my head. You know, at that point of my life when I was investigating the end, I had 30 years of experience in the paranormal I thought I knew everything, and there was nothing that could surprise me anymore. And I discovered that I had jumped into the deep end of the uh, the pool, the per- that peripheral pool, and I had no life preservers. I had no life-saving uh, abilities. I was sucked into a very dark place. Yeah. So did, did you live by this place? Yeah, I was only uh, probably... From where my house was situated there in Ida Grove, it was less than a three and a half minute drive. Oh wow! So um, I literally I worked in town ta- in town there. I worked at a little tire shop, a little mom and pa tire shop there in town. Uh, it no longer exists anymore. The old guy he finally gave up the the business after doing it for fifty some odd years. And I would seriously, I, I would get up in the morning, I would go to work, and I'd fix tires and do oil changes. Just, just for something, you know, I had had a job. So that's what I did. And my lunch breaks, I'd go out to the end. It was only like three minutes from there. And I would sit on the front porch. I'd eat my lunch. I'd eat my lunch. I'd go back. I'd do, I'd do more tires, do more oil changes. And then at the end of the day, I'd go back to the end and I would investigate it. And it was just, you know, the wheels and the bus goes round and round, man. It was just over and over and over again. And I did this for years, and then I decided, well, I'm going to create a team, and that turned, and it's it, that's a whole other story. Uh, it, it just it, everything went sideways with people, friends, family. 
um, I just about punched out a minister. Wow. <laughs> it was, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't me anymore. The person that was, that was involved with the end, it, it was no longer me anymore. I, yeah. I lost track of being who I was. Uh, social media began swallowing me up. Yep. You know, happens. everything, everything was about the, the getting all the, the really cool videos out there and, and the notoriety. And when I did that, of course, now looking back on it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, when one decides that their brand, so to speak, and their, and who they are is, is the, the goal of becoming a paranormal investigator, you have failed at what you're doing. And, I am now back to doing what I do, just helping people. I, I don't look for notoriety. Um, in fact, when I, I rewrote the book, I kind of I more or less felt like a hypocrite because I'd always said in the beginning that what I was doing wasn't about being on TV or writing books. It was about helping people. But um, as I look at this book, and as, if, if people would actually read this book in the manner that I, I had written it, they would see it as a learning tool. And that learning tool is, I don't want to be that guy. Because there were so many red flags that if you read the book that, that were presented to me along that journey, I should have just said, you know, enough's enough and stopped. But I didn't. I continued. And I was I was my own path of self-destruction along those seven years. Yeah, it's like you got obsessed. Right. So, so did this... Did the end just kind of like keep pulling you in there? Was it oh, like yeah, every day, every day? Was you it know, like some kind of force or something? You know, it is. You know, um, we once found the voice of a small child that we, we caught a recording there, and it's in that small child, which sounds like maybe I don't know, maybe twelve years old, and it declared simply, "Someone save us." Wow. And, wow, that's and creepy. I, I've often wondered being caught, you know, being building a structure on, on such sacred ground is, and again, this is all in theory, conjecture, whatever you want to call it, that if you've invaded that place in your life, then you're going to probably be captured there in your death. And I've often wondered that. And, and now to this day, I think, oh, my God, you know, is, is my destiny to be, you know, trapped within the walls of of the stagecoach in, you know, I mean, it, I, I believe it's already taken a part of me away. Yeah. You know, people ask me, you can ever investigate there. And I go, you know what? I investigate there probably three seconds of every day, about twice a month. Wow. It just, it's in my head and it'll never leave. And it constantly whispers to me. There's just a constant whisper all the time. And it's, I, I've told people that the stagecoach in is kind of like being in a really bad uh, relationship. You know, you you know if you go back, it's just it's going to be the same train wreck as it was before. Yeah, and you do it anyway because you you think to yourself, you know, it really wasn't that bad. You know, I mean, yeah, we had some rough spots, but it wasn't that bad. Right. And then it ends up it ends up being worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and and that's the way it was on a daily basis. You know, I mean, I would investigate that place. And for the next five days after investigating, I would check my heart rate, my pulse, you know, self-diagnosing. I I mean, I was getting sick. You know, me and my wife were fighting. There was there was financial problems. There was and there shouldn't have been. 
there should have been financial problems. And we were looking at the house and, and she was taking care of all, you know, basically you know, there's no utility bills. There was nothing, you know, to, to take care of other than take care of her. But yet we were finding ourselves in the hole all the time. Right. And, and it was due to that place. I was invading a place that I should not have invaded. When, when something pulled on my coat that night, when I had that initial contact seven years earlier, I should have said, you know what? There is something here. There's something about this place. I've proved it, if not to myself, which was okay. Mm-hmm. I should have moved on. Yeah, that was like your first red flag right there. Yeah, it should it should have been. And that's what this book is about in Too Deep. It's, it's literally, you know... It, it There's sounds a like a film. Places. You can make a movie out of this. I'm, I'm Everybody's thinking. told me, you know what? You're you're not the first person that's told me that. I get I constantly get people that's written that that has uh, uh, read the book. They said, you know, somebody needs to make a movie out of this thing or a yeah. miniseries or something. Something, because yes. It is, it's a story and it's very visually done. Um, there was a gentleman who was he passed away here in the past year. His name was Coyote Chris Sutton. Um, he was on the Dead Files. He was on Ghost Adventures. Yeah. He, was, he was he was a shaman, and I grew to knew to know Chris very well. Um, we had talked a lot, and Chris was very concerned with this journey that I was on, and he told me, he says, "Alan, he says when you came to me and asked me if if I could write." Uh, a little bit about the book and about you. He says, I was hesitant. He says, I've had a lot of people that have come to me, friends of mine that say, Hey, Chris, you know, you, you want to write a forward for my book or just write a review of my book before it actually hits the, hits the, the newsstand. And, and he'd always reject them, you know, because he says, you know, they, they wrote stuff like, you know, for instance, Oh, I walked into a scary house and, and something jumped out of the corner and scared me. Right. Well, when I wrote this book, I wrote it in a manner that you feel like you're right there with me. And he picked up on that right away. And he says, Alan, he says, you, you wore your heart on your sleeve. He said, that's what drew me to writing the review. And his review was like two pages long. Wow. And he was so surprised that I did. I, you know, when I talk about, you know, almost beating the hell out of the, uh, out of the minister because he asked me if I, you know, if I found God, you know, after looking for, you know, spirits and I wanted us to rip his lungs out. And my wife came to me and she said, what in the hell is wrong with you? And I turned around and I literally had tears in my eyes and said, I don't know. I don't know. So you definitely had some kind of an attachment. It seems like something that just kept holding on. It was very possible, you know, was, but the question is, was it attached to me or was I attached to it? Yes. And that's, yes. and that's the standing question. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm in amazement over here. Like I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, wow. a lot of people. They don't know who I am. They've never heard of the book. You know, and that's fine. You know, I mean it uh, again, I'm not in this to be famous. I'm, I'm in this to be, to awaken other investigators. That, yes. In fact, if, if, I'm trying to build an audience, not so much to purchase the book, but for me to let them know that, you know, being a paranormal investigator isn't all about K2 meters and in the, in the, in the neatest and coolest new device that right. you can buy on a paranormal website that yeah. sells tools. This is a very dangerous field. 
And they said, well, you know, I, I get that, you know, and, and, and I have great respect for what's going on. And I, and I think to myself, no, you don't, you don't, you don't understand it. You know, I, I've often said that if I could take all those seven years of emotions and, and toils and tribulations or, or however you want to describe them and put them in a can and seal it up and then sell it. And then once you think you've discovered how the paranormal works and how terrifying it can be, you open this can up and you get for an instant, you actually feel and see the horror of what it can be like. Sure. And, and that's what I'm trying to push. You know, I don't want to deflect anybody from being a paranormal investigator. I just want them to know that as soon as you say, is there anybody out there? You're in. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've heard of the book. I haven't read it, but now I'm going to want to rush out and get it. Can you tell the people <laughs> how? Where Where can we get it? Can we order it off of Amazon? Or Yeah, it's on Amazon. Okay, you can cool. go to Amazon and look up uh, Into Deep. Or uh, you can actually go to my website. It's, it's a new website. My publisher set it up for me. Um, it's darkriverbooks.com. And it's a whole website. It's about uh, Into Deep. And it'll have a link that'll take you to the Amazon site where you can purchase the it's uh, paperback, hardback, or you can get it on Kindle. Oh, awesome! Um, uh, I do. If if you want to link straight to me, you can uh, either just go to the Dark River Paranormal page mm-hmm. or the Alan Cornelson page on Facebook and message me, and I can uh, we can I got one of those what they call it a square. And uh, I just take your information, and I can send you a signed copy because oh, obviously awesome you can't get a, you can't get a signed copy on on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, at this time, believe it or not, I'm writing the the sequel to the book. Uh, I didn't think I would, but I am, and it's called In Conflict, and um, it's at the editors right now, and it's about seventy eight thousand words into this book. Wow. That I've written, um, and it's basically the journey going back for the very last time to investigate this. What I refer to as a kaleidoscope to hell. Now, you had mentioned that uh, you you want to give paranormal investigators. Uh, this is kind of like a it's like a warning that that can happen to them if they're it not is. careful, it, and it can happen to anybody. And the people that it happens to the most, I feel. And again, this is my own opinion, are the ones that do it on a daily basis, the ones that own these what I call paranormal amusement parks without, you know, stating the names and plugging any names on your show. Of, sure. Of, you know, paranormal hotspots around the country where you can go and investigate overnight. Those people that bring in the money and say, you know, yeah, you can come and investigate, you know, and, and those are the ones that I worry about the most. Um, they're, they're so deeply in, in invested in these haunted locations that I think they're the most at risk in being affected by the very dark, dark field or industry. Um, I was doing it for a while. I, you know, I mean, I was trying to help the historical society at, uh, in Ida Grove. 
Um, we were trying to, I was thought, you know, Hey, I'm going to raise money and, and get a new roof put on this place and, and get, but of course they were a nonprofit organization. So it had to be donations. I brought five people or five groups finally came and, and investigated it. One, because, you know, of course we wanted to, you know, do some paint and stuff like that for the place. Sure. And secondly, it was to validate what I'd found. You know, anybody can, you know, say, you know, a place is haunted, but I wanted more than anybody to have, you know, outside groups come in and validate my own findings. And I would find these groups. I found five groups that came in and they would walk out of that place just shaking their heads. I had one that came back and they see me, you know, after like two years and they go, man, they said, you're not the same. You've changed. And I go, I'm the same person I was before. They go, no, you've changed. You know, it just outwardly, you, you've changed. You're a different man. You're a different person you used to be. And so it, it, this this field, not only just being an investigator, but being so close to a location can be extremely dangerous. And that's when you've really got to, and, and without getting, you know, thumping on Bibles or anything like that, but you've got to start keeping a real close connection with, with, the, with the guy upstairs that created everything. And, and try to keep him there with you. Because if you think about it, you know, when you're investigating, say you investigate five or six times a week, different locations, how many times are you talking into the dark to nothing that could potentially be evil? And how many times during the week are you actually going to church and talking to something? Well, yeah, but wouldn't it be fair to say though? And I'm not, I'm not knocking any religious thing here. No, but wouldn't, I, yeah, it, wouldn't yeah. it be fair to say whenever somebody prays to God... Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't know if you're actually praying to God. <laughs> you want to think that you are. Couldn't sure some because you, because you open it, up a line of communication. It, well, it's faith. Sure, you know, it, it, sure. It, it, it's faith. You know, it, 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 by all accounts, it's faith. And by all accounts, when you turn on a K two meter and you are talking to somebody, in a sense, it's faith that the numbers are going to rise or blink on that K2 meter or that millimeter without even thinking about it. You're right. hopeful. Right. It's, it's almost like willing you're it. You're going to reach somebody or something. It's almost like know? willing it. Like you, you want it bad enough that you're, you're willing it. Exactly. It's all in the intent. Right. Yes. You go for the intent and you might actually get what you don't want. Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes, that's more sense to me now. So. I just I I probably sure. wasn't listening to it correctly or <laughs> no 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 you're fine it's just what I'm stating is I guess what I was trying to explain was that we're probably in a week's period of time speaking to something other than God than God on Sunday yeah yeah, yeah. and so you know what does that do to our spiritual self you know Satan. Everybody knows if you read any, you know, and I'm not by any means my minister or, or I study the Bible, but from what I understand is, is, is the biggest liar that has ever existed in the entire cosmos. He's a liar. And, you know, you get somebody that believes, you know, let's just put a name on it. We'll call her Aunt B, you know, from Mayberry is baking cookies now. You know, she passed away. But now I'm smelling cookies and has to be Aunt B. Well, it must be her because she had unfinished business. She, she's not ready to go yet. Well, what if the unfinished business isn't Aunt B? It's your own feelings of she didn't have 
she had unfinished business. And there are certain items, there are certain entities out there, whether they're human or never been human, that could actually slide into Aunt B's shoes and say, okay, you want Aunt B? Here she is. That is true. And then all the while, what's happening? You're beginning to pull away from the light and go towards the darkness. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. So this, you're... Because how you're you're describing it, it's almost like you definitely was obsessed with this place. I was very much so obsessed. Now, did this was, did this ruin your relationship with your wife? It damn near ruined our relationship. Yes, wow. we're very strong now. I mean, we're we're very strong together. Um, uh, my wife Pam supports me completely in what I do, but at the time, it it nearly ruined us. What I mean, about with your daughter? Um, she, you know, I haven't talked to her in years. Um, she went on her own way. I asked her many years ago. I, I asked her if she remembered that night, and she does not. Oh, okay. She does not remember that night. She was like three yeah. when that happened. And uh, we have since, you know, we our relationship, you know, kind of went on the wayside, which, you know, these things happen. Yeah. But... Uh, Without getting into too much detail, we just it just found our different roads, and uh, that's just how things play out. And that could be because of what I do, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't know. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's something. Yeah. Now the as far as because you said that you you have another book that you're you're in the process of yeah it's called in conflict so uh, this this book here is this is a continuum for where you left off correct yeah and i and i really didn't plan on writing it um i there was there was a little bit left that when i when i wrote the first book there was one last investigation that i didn't get into the book cuz i didn't exactly know how to explain it my my first editor my first publisher he he was just badgering me to get this this book out before it was like november or something on his next cycle of books and i just lightly touched on the very last time that i investigated the stagecoach in and I just felt unfinished and I began to talk with him about adding on to the book. And he said, yeah, we could make a revised version of the book. And, and and unfortunately I started finding out all these things about my last publisher and I dumped him completely. And I thought, how am I going to, how am I going to write this this one last investigation, eight hours. How am I going to make a book into it? And I actually sat down and I started thinking about it. And I started thinking about how much it took for me to go back there. You know, everything that I went through in to begin with. And then now here I am being talked into, basically talked into going back in the struggles that I was having in my own spiritual self to go back to the stagecoach in and reinvestigate it and then finally do that last investigation. And believe it or not, it turned into a novel. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's larger than the first book. Well, what, and, what is the, what is like the time gap between the last 
time that you was there and then the one that you went back for about about uh eight months okay all right um when i when i left the stagecoach in um we uh you ever heard of a gentleman by the name of chris moon i'm not sure <laughs> well he he's a psychic medium he's a uh i don't know he he does he has his own thing he's been on a few shows as well um but he, he uh got in contact with me through a, a kind of a third party person and he said hey i heard you you know i'm back in ankeny now we'd moved back i had put the stagecoach in behind me and he uh, uh got a hold of me and he said i'd like to really look at this place and i thought well okay you know i can give you a tour and i so i drove up to ida grove it was only like a two-hour drive from where I'm currently living, and I met him there. And uh, he did a virtual tour through there with his phone, and he was picking up a lot of bad mojo and vibes, which didn't surprise me. You know, psychic mediums, they always pick up bad mojo and vibes. Right. You know, it was on, you know, Native American ground, and he was saying, yeah, a very dark place and blah, blah, blah. You know how it all goes. And at the end of his little spiel – he, you know, he, he, you know, him and his uh, friends, they, they get back from their, they had another event that was like, I don't know, an hour away from where we were at that he was going to. And he said, like, Alan, he says, if you ever want an event here, let me know. So I'll help you, I'll help you set that up. And of course I wasn't no longer living in Ida Grove. We'd moved away from there. And, uh, I said, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, I'll, and anyway, he left and I thought I'll never see this guy again. Three days later, Chris Moon calls me and he says, we're going to do an event from the Stagecoach Inn. And I thought, okay. So I get a hold of the, the right people, which was Steve Wilkins, who was the president of the, of the place, and explained to him that, you know, we're going to try to raise a little bit of money for the end. We're going to bring some people in. They're going to sell tickets. And we had people coming as far away from Colorado nice. for this, thing, this event. And the the inn wasn't really set up to do this kind of uh, event. You know, there's no plumbing there. The, the electricity is very limited. There's no water. You know, it's in a park, so you have to go to you know outside. You know, re, you know, kibos like in a in a park. You know, bathrooms. It, so it really wasn't set up for this kind of event. But we did it anyway. And we, it was a three-night event. He was charging so much money for readings during the day. And then we'd do these investigations at night. And there was a film crew that came in who I his name was Jim Martin. And I, I came became fast friends with Jim Martin. In fact, he, he's in the second book quite a bit. But uh, he came out, and we're going to film Chris, and we're going to do a big, you know, kind of a – uh, documentary on the stagecoach in on it, it turned into something bigger than I ever thought it could be. And the second night we had people that were leaving and the, and no, and, and these are folks that had been investigating for 10, 15 years. Chris came to me and he said, Alan, he says, what's the deal with the, with the, the taillights? He says, is, I said, Chris, people are leaving. We're scared. They're, they're scared to death. You know, we had people that were getting burned. It was like, it was like wow. these, these uh, I, what would you call them? They were kind of like a native-type scarring or burns, like being branded. Wow. 
on their arms and on their backs, you know, and it wasn't great. wasn't scratches. These, these actually were symmetrical in a sense, and they kind of looked like the yin yin yang symbol, but yet it was a part of itself. And, and, and people were, were were fainting and passing out. And I mean, it was just, it was hell on earth. Uh, One group called short bus paranormal, who um, is actually my second book was there. And, you know, they almost left, but they felt they had to stay just to help because it, it turned into it turned into a war zone right uh, there like were it was people a nightmare were laying out on the grass that were just feeling as, as if you know they weren't themselves and and it was it was <laughs> wow it, i look back on it now and it was it was actually kind of comical but at the same time horrifying and so anyway uh it was all over and it left and then about Six months later or so, this Jim Martin I referred to here just a second ago called me and he says, hey, buddy, he says, what do you think we do another event from there? Do, you know, one last <laughs> investigation. And that's kind of where the second book picks up. Yeah. Is there any significance to the date when all that happened that you not know of from your research or anything? No, no. Um, not necessarily. I did, however, determine that between the hours of about 7.45 at night until about 11.50 at night or, you know, p.m., mm-hmm. activity would be at its greatest. Wow. Um, from about midnight till 2 to 3, it was slight, but the most dramatic. I mean, it'd be like nothing going on for two hours and then something huge would happen. Like a tree limb almost sounded like it fell in the front room, just crashes, wow. huge, huge, loud, just explosions. that would just shake the place. Wow. Um, we had on several occasions, I, the Ida County uh, Sheriff's office would be called um, to the stagecoach in. And usually it was at night around 1130, 12 o'clock. Um, stating that there were lights on out there and they were in fear that somebody broke in and was trying to steal some of the relics that were in there. You know, the place has been, you know, fashioned to look a lot like the 1800s up to about 1928 in that era. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, there, you know, there's no alarm system out there. So the sheriff would go out and they would check the padlocks to be all secure, but yeah, lights would be on on the inside and they'd, walk around, nothing going on, and then they'd leave, and they'd do one more tour back past the, the end one more time before they left the park, and the lights would be off. Wow. This is, this is coming from the sheriff's department. You know, so it's just, there's a lot going on out there, and I don't want to have any more thing to do with it. People ask me all the time, do you want to go back? No, I do not. I'll never go back. Uh, it's just, it's a bad place for me. Um to this day, I have I have nightmares uh, about that place, and, and I uh, hired an artist to paint a drawing. And it's very vivid; it's a beautiful painting. It hangs up here in my office, and I look at it, and it's what I see in my dreams. Wow! And it's just that's it's, crazy. And I and again, I talk about it in the second book in conflict, and uh, and there was there was a lot of conflict in in returning to that place. Um, I, I do, however, did fit to you a little bit. I did uh, go back there about two months ago 
Uh, of course, my wife's father was, you know, World War II veteran. And for, what was it, Memorial Day weekend, we went up to put flowers on his grave. And I took the book, the only copy ever of In Too Deep, the hardcover. And I have it sitting here right next to me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take this book out there. And I'm going to do a selfie with me, the book, and the inn, all in one place at the same time. And so I did. I took a selfie. <laughs> I put it on Instagram, and that's the last time I've ever been there. I didn't. I didn't even so much as look in the windows. Wow! But it's still it's still pulling you back, though. I mean, you just went you went back there with the book, so you're yeah, like, I did. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of curious if it's just going to keep pulling you back. It, it is. It's 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 going to be always there. Chris Coyote, Chris Sutton said that it's it's with me all the time, and it'll be with me. And you know, in the in the most incredible thing about that time there if anything at all came out of it was before again like i said i'd find raccoons in the basements or you know i'd find reasonable explanations to hauntings of 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 residents in other places since that time i have more captured activity i've actually captured on video of paranormal phenomenon and i asked chris about this once and he said alan he says the reason is you catch more than you've ever done in your life is is because just because you were at the stagecoach in doesn't mean that everything else in this world hasn't noticed that you noticed them and it's just going to be with you and I have had so much, I guess, misfortune <laughs> in finding paranormal phenomenon than, than I ever have in the 40 years I've done this. Uh, I just recently did an investigation at a place called the Wahanted YMCA in Rock Island, Illinois. And I'm in the staircase of this place, and I'm doing a live stream through what another company called the Spirit Realm Network. And I'm doing this live with my Canon FX205. It's a high quality, you know, it's, it's, it's a camera made for broadcasting. And uh, we're hooked up to the internet and I'm sitting in this staircase and over, you can hear it over the shotgun microphone. There is a total conversation going on below me. Of, of at least six or seven people. I have never heard wow. anything like that. Wow. And, they, and, and, and the people who own the building say, we've never heard that before. And there was, and it was, it was, and I found out later that this area that I was hearing these voices from in this old building was the locker room area where the pool was. Wow. Which made a lot of sense. You know, why wouldn't there be a lot of people talking? And yeah. it was men. It was, these were adult men. And I was, they wouldn't allow me to be part of the conversation, but it's going on. And if, and if you would go to, I believe it's the Spirit Realm uh, Network website, you can see the Haunted YMCA uh, live stream that I did there. And you can hear these people talking. And it was just, it was amazing. It was an amazing capture. And, yeah. But that goes on with me now all the time. So whether I, that has anything to do with anything remains to be seen. You know, I tell people I'm about as sensitive as a blade of grass. Yeah, but I, I think I'm, they're I'm attracted not... to you. <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah, you definitely have something that they're they're coming for. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it like that. Yeah, I, I just I, think I that they... <laughs> quite like that. <laughs> But no, you definitely have some kind of presence about you, and they want you to know something. Maybe. 
Um, I don't know what that something is and whatever it is, that's something I, I, I'd rather not know, you know, um, I, I, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a very small town and I went to a country church and, you know, I went to Sunday school and I was told when you die, you go to one of two places, you go to heaven or hell. Yeah. Right. Period. Period. You know, there's no in between. There is something out there other than heaven and hell. And, you know, I believe that, you know, why would anybody want to come back here? Right. You know, right. If, if, if the streets of gold are there, you know, why in the hell would anybody want to come back to this place? I've been talking to a gentleman by the name of uh, Father Ruben Lopez. He is with the New York Catholic Diocese. He's, he's a Roman Catholic priest who's also an exorcist. He's been an exorcist for over 50 years. And he informed me that that what we probably see are what they refer to as rogue demons. Now, I, again, I don't know for sure, but I do know after what you know has been explained to me in the Bible that there is an impossible chasm that divides heaven from hell, and nothing can cross that chasm. If you're cast into hell, that's where you're staying at. No human can cross that chasm. Well, that discounts evil, things that were never alive. And just like our natural world that we exist in right now, you know, say, for instance, our government, we have people that follow the rules. And we have people that don't follow the rules. Well, supposedly, according to Father Lopez, that Satan runs a pretty tight ship. You know, he has this pact with, with God that, you know, anybody bad comes down there and he, he punishes them. That's what Satan does. But there are some of these so-called rogue demons that want a little bit more. They don't want to just punish people there in hell. They want to come across that, that chasm, and they're able to because they were never human or alive in the first place. And that's what is tormenting us here on this plane today. Very interesting. Very, it's 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 a crazy way out there thought. But you know, how do you argue with a priest? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. And and you know, it's it's hard to tell what you know. I mean, we've never been to the other side, so how do we know? But it's a good theory. Exactly. You know, we're not. You know, all this is everything that that I'm telling you tonight. Everything that I can hear at a seminar, if I would go to one tomorrow, about how all this works is simply all theory and none of us are going to know anything until we're actually dead. And then we're going to probably, excuse me, not give a shit. Right. So <laughs> that's kind of where we're at. Me, I'll come back as a bird or something to get hit by a car. That's usually, yeah. yeah <laughs> how it works for me. We've all, we've all seen that. We've all seen that commercial where the little girl sees a butterfly and has a broken wing and she cries to her daddy and, and, and dear daddy fixes a wing and the butterfly floats away across the field and all of a sudden it gets hit by a truck. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah that, that's definitely going to be me, I'm sure. <laughs> so let me ask you, when when you went and investigated and, and um, gathered more from this particular inn, did yeah. you use all kinds of equipment or did you... I used a lot of equipment. In fact, I created a device called the MAG-D, and I it sits here in my office. I stare at it every day, and it's, and it's 
the MAGD is Multiple Apparition Generating Device. Um, I was in the uh, security field for a long time. I put in security systems in buildings, and a lot of times I'd put security systems in jewelry stores, and we would have what they call a proximity alarm, that if somebody would get too close to a safe or uh, maybe some jewelry behind a glass, it would activate what they call a trouble sensor on a keypad. And it wasn't really an alarm, it was just a trouble. And that would let somebody know that somebody is, is intruding the space of something. Well, I took that technology and I scaled it down some, where it didn't really pick up my static charge, but it would pick up static charge, like say from, uh, if you took two plastic bags and rub them together, a little bit, you get that DC charge. Yeah, it would pick up. It would pick that up, and and so I, I I put it into this device as well as a huge electrical magnetic pump. If if you put a millimeter within four foot of this thing when it's turned on, it'll smoke it. I mean, the the numbers on a millimeter will just be but be like seven lines. Wow, it just completely smokes it. So I had to put this proximity locator in there. So if the lights go out on this locator, I can shut off the pump and I can use a millimeter kind of as a double redundancy to see if the lights or the numbers begin to rise. And if the lights are still off on the proximity locator and I'm still getting high numbers on my millimeter, that's telling me that there's probably something in the environment. So but so I've created that specifically for the stagecoach in. But my go-to piece of equipment when I was there was a vibration sensor. Um, and it was a run-of-the-mill vibration sensor that I got off of Amazon or someplace. It was for a, a, a door. It was designed to it had a magnet in it where you would put it on a metal door. So if somebody would shake a doorknob, you know, or try to break into your house, it would just scream into alarm. But it wasn't so sensitive that if it was a windstorm outside and twigs and stuff would strike the door, you know, and, and maybe move a little bit, that it would go off. And I thought, well, that'd be a great piece of equipment to use because it's not oversensitive at all. In fact, I would walk around it. I mean, I could literally just walk right next to this thing sitting on the floor and it wouldn't go off. It probably went off, I'm going to guess, 70, 80 times on the staircase leading upstairs in the stagecoach inn where people eventually figured was some kind of a portal. Wow. Wow. And I captured it so many times going off. Um, along with a motion sensor that I would usually put with it to accompany uh, that vibration sensor. In fact, in one of my videos, um, I'm standing there and I'm talking to whatever is in the environment. And I said, you know, just set that uh, that motion sensor off for me, you know. And I go into another room and I'm poking around and all of a sudden the motion sensor starts screaming. And I come back and sure enough, you know, the vibration sensor is going off, the motion sensor is going off. And there's no way that anybody could have seen, you know could have set it off because it's, it's in a walled-in area. You know, you, you can't disturb these things without actually passing by them. Yeah. Um, another video, it's on the Dark River Paranormal um, Facebook page, um, and I, I think I called it crazy motion activity or something like that was the, was the, was the, the highlight, you know, or the title of the, uh, the video. But you can watch this video, and you can see that there's nobody there. Um, so, yeah, I use a lot of different kinds of equipment. In fact, I had one group that was called Siouxland Paranormal that came to investigate, and they brought a device called, let me see if I get this straight, it was called a beam sensor. Okay. Kind of like if you, if you break the beam, 
you know, it would, something would go into alarm. Oh, okay, okay. And and they bought it primarily to investigate Edinburgh Manor. You know, they thought if there was any place on this whole planet that this beam sensor would be activated, it would be at Edinburgh Manor. And so they took it there, and of course they didn't capture anything. And they took it to Villisca, and they took it to every you know every place you know all the most popular places you can think of here in the Midwest. And it never activated. And they set it up at the Stagecoach Inn in the judge's quarters. Judge Moorhead's uh, little law office, his little courtroom. It was just basically, it was a small room, kind of in the southeast corner of the old inn. Um, it was a place where, he, he was a land judge, okay? And people would come to him outside his room, his, his window, and they would bring their case to him. And he would stand there at this window and he would listen to their argument and he'd say, okay, this, this is where your property lines are according to all my manuals and books and, and things. And he would settle these disputes. So they put this, this beam sensor across this window and lo and behold, it went off. Wow. And these people were blown away. I interviewed the one gentleman and I said, what's that called in, in, in the whole tape? It's called the beam sensor. The video is. And he's like, you can see the wheels turning in his head. Like, how could this even be? He says, we bought this thing primarily for Edinburgh Manor. And he said, that was the one place that we would expect this thing to go off. And it never has. It never did until tonight. He said, we don't, I don't get it. And, and you can just see he, he's trying to find the words. He's trying to find the words wow. to why all these known locations that all these, you know, big TV shows have been at. And here's this little place out in the middle of Podunk, Iowa, that <laughs> sets this beam sensor off. And he's just blown away. Uh, they I actually took a picture, a really fascinating picture um, from outside. And I think I posted it a couple times. It wasn't one of my photos, but it was an elemental and and this thing actually looks like a fairy floating in the sky. Oh wow! That's yeah, it's cool. it's it's pitch black, <laughs> and here's this white this 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 like bright light, and it looks exactly like Tinkerbell. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 Todd has just, Tinkerbell it, it, on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, it just looks to me like I mean, I and, and she showed me. She's I want you, it's on my camera it's right here. I I'd seen it for the first time on the back a little back screen of a digital camera. So I knew that they didn't mess with it. You know, I mean, it was, they, they just came inside and she says, look at this. She said, you've got things that are, that are living outside of this, this wonderful place. There, there, there are things that are guarding this place There are elementals that are here. They're everywhere. Right. Oh, that's crazy. And so there's so many layers to that place as I now refer to it, um, that, it is, is yet to be touched, to yet to be understood. And it's not going to be me that's going to do it, that's going to try to figure it out. You know, I, sh I should have just, like I said, I should have just left it alone. I will backpedal a little bit and state this. If there was anybody of, of greatness in the paranormal, I mean, somebody that's done this for a long time, like Zappas or or somebody of that nature that has, you know, I mean, Zavis obviously is, is related to the Warrens, you know, uh, would come to me and say, you know what, Alan, I would like to go up back there and like you to come along as a consultant. I probably would. 
Right. But, but I, but I wouldn't investigate it. I would be there basically to say, okay, you know, this is where, you know, you got to be careful. This is where you got to watch your back. You know, this is, you know, and be there as a consultant and things look to me like they were getting out of hand. I just shut it down. That's, I mean, that would be my job. I would yeah. just say, you know, enough's enough. You don't want any part of this, you know, just because you don't, you know, I've, I've heard people that say, well, I'm not allergic to poison. I have walked through, you know, fields of it all my life. And then all of a sudden one day they walk through a field of poison ivy and they just get covered in it. You know, so it would be up to me to know when that poison ivy was going to cling, do so pe- to speak. Do people, do, do paranormal investigators go to this place? No, not anymore. Um, it was kind of an, an equal, I guess, uh, a shared interest between myself and the historical society to shut all investigations down. Okay. Um, you know, they didn't want their revered stagecoach in, which is basically the cornerstone of Ida County. I mean, it was the county. It was the county seat back in 1856 right. to be seen as a haunted location. They wanted to be seen as as a place where this this the county was was built from you know it's revered it's loved you know a lot of history it's a beautiful place i mean it is it's 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 remarkable this this place wore so many different hats it started off as just this little humble cabin when the moorheads arrived here from ohio they found this little patch of timber in in a grove of trees oak and a, a grove of oak trees and they built this cabin. And one day a stagecoach comes rambling by and stops. And the driver gets off. And, of course, John Moorhead comes out of the cabin or from wherever he was at. And, and the driver asks him, to say, he says, can we water our horses here? we got some people on, on the stage. Can they stretch their legs? And the Moorheads, you know, they seen this as maybe a potential to some income. And so years went by. And they began to create the structure that exists today and from 1856 until about uh, 1880 or so before the you know when the railroad finally came through it had grown and it was still the cornerstone it, it served as a post office it was the hospital it was uh, mm-hmm. uh the courthouse it was a school it was an inn obviously um it, but it served so many different things all at one time. It was like the local convenience store. It was a community center. It was a church. And it did all these things at the same time. You know, the kitchen table where Martha Moorhead would serve travelers, you know, their meals. There, you know, there's wonderful stories of, you know, the stagecoach would, would blow a horn. They would blow a horn. They'd be, you know, half mile away and they'd blow the tr- this trumpet. Uh, on a stage and Martha would hear that and she knew the stage was coming. And so she began to prepare things, put plates out on this big long harvest table to, you know, to feed the travelers, you know, to, to have, so they have a place to rest and have a fine meal, but you got to understand that that same kitchen area was also the hospital. And that same table was used as a surgical platform to saw limbs off when they got frostbitten. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So there's just layers and layers and layers to this place that, you know, there's so much. Um, and what is it today? Towns, what, what is it today? It's just a museum. 
It's it's a working museum. Um, you can go to into town there, and I think it's on the corner of Fifth and Moorhead is the Moorhead House Museum, which is Giles Moorhead. That's that's that was Judge Moorhead's son. He turned into a doctor, and there was a big like a big board in the front that has a phone number for the historical society that you can get tours and people can still do tours in this place to the day yet today. Um, but it, there's a lot, there's so many wonderful stories that are associated with the stagecoach Inn. but there's a lot of tragedies there as well. Yeah. You know, um, when I found the book written by Giles Moorhead, um, he calls it the history of, of Ida County. Um, there was a subtitle called uh, Ghosts of the Past. Now, I referred earlier to shoes being found in the walls. Uh, yeah. At one point, the Moorheads must have put shoes in the walls of this place. And if you know anything about your paranormal history, you'll know that people used to put shoes in walls to keep evil out. Because the shoe was felt to hold the sole or imprint of the wearer's foot, yeah. the owner of the owner of the of, of the house, and you would put those in weak spots. You would put them like next to a chimney or a doorway or a window opening to keep evil out. And that, to me, made sense because they had this burial tree that's outside. So, what did Giles Moorhead know? You know, I mean, the, the, these are the Bible thumping Pentecostals that they just can't go around saying that my place is haunted. We see ghosts, right? So when he created this book, this this history of Ida County and this little subtitle "Ghosts of the Past," was that his little release? You know, is that a stretch to say? Is that his little release to say we encountered ghosts when we lived there? Interesting. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a roundabout way of saying it. Yeah. Well, you know, That's interesting. here you are sitting on Native American burial ground. You know, Martha Moorhead and Anna Moorhead used to sit below one of these this big oak tree, and they'd have their little picnics. This is in the 1800s. And Martha picked up enough beads from the rotting corpses from many, many hundreds of years ago to make a set of moccasins for one of the kids. Wow. Yeah, definitely... Uh <laughs> lots and lots of history, place. lots and lots yes. and lots of history. Yeah, it it definitely sounds like it. It's very interesting. Yes, it is. Well, Alan, well, let, can you tell everybody again how, how they can get a hold of your book? How they can get a hold of my book? Um, they can go to, <coughs> excuse me, darkriverbooks.com. And uh, that's my website. And on that website, there's a couple links to get to Amazon where you can find the book in too deep, or you can just go to Amazon and just type in, you know, the keyword in too deep and uh, you'll find my book there. And when are you, when are you planning on the release of, uh, in conflict? In conflict. conflict yes. Well, um, I'm, I'm hoping and again, hoping that it's going to at least be ready for release sometime in November. I, I'm, we're really close to getting it done, um, with the editing process, which takes it, Editors are evil. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are so evil. But anyway, uh, we're really close to getting the editing part done. And then, of course, we're going to come up with a cover. Uh, I'll work with the graphic designers to create a nice cover and then uh, release it. And uh, it'll as well be on Amazon. It'll be also on uh, the website. Um, I, I do. I'm always constantly reaching out to whoever 
will bring me in to do seminars and, and talk about the dangers of paranormal investigation, as well as peddle my little book along the way. Um, so if anybody's out there listening, would like to have me come and speak, I sure will. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, it was great talking with you, Alan, and I am so glad that uh, – you agreed to be on the show. I am blown away by all the history and, and the knowledge of things that, that you've been through. And I'm well, looking forward you. to the book, getting the book. Yes, uh, we will definitely <laughs> be getting a hold of you uh, directly after so we can figure out how to get us a book to put on our shelf over yes. here. Well, 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 we'll figure that one out. We can do that. Absolutely. I assure you we can do that. Absolutely. I, in fact, I've got, I've got, I think I, in fact, I do here on the floor, I have a box. I have 25 copies and I have three hardback copies available right now awesome. today. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to get you, get you, sign it for us. Yes. Sure. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have the autograph, man. Yes. All right. Well, you thank you. You make me feel bigger than what I am. <laughs> well, you know what? All you've been through, uh, you said about, you know, Zaphis or somebody. No, no, no. You, you have all that. He just has the name, but you have the experience. Yes. You know, all of that happened to you, and I don't think you could take anybody in there to replicate what you've been through. Well, you know, and just real quick, uh, I know you want to get going here. When when I was hooked up through Daniel Class, through this this first publisher, um, I told Daniel, I said, I can't write a book. And he said, don't worry, this guy's a ghostwriter. You know, all you've got to do is just sit down and, and tell your story, and and they'll do all the the work. And I thought, great, that sounds simple to me. Yeah. So when I called this gentleman, uh, and I say gentleman loosely, uh, and t- told him the story, I got about an hour and a half into my little story and he stops me. He says, Alan, he says, I can't write this book. And I, I just, my, my heart just dropped. I thought, oh, yeah, the story sucks. You know, there, you know, I, it just, it's horrible. And he says, no, 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 he's not that. He says, he says, there's no way, he says, me as a writer, and, he, and he's got a lot of books out there. I mean, this guy, he's got a ton of books. He's a very good author, uh, even though who, who he is. But he says, Alan, there's no way that I can put the emotion into this book that you've explained it to me. Right. He says, I, he says, I need 54,000 words. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, here I am. You know, I went to a, a small podunk school called Carlisle High School you know, or Carlisle school here in Iowa. And I would melt into the cracks of the floor. The teacher said, I want you to write a 500 word essay. (laughs) And so so, um, I literally got up in the morning and I wrote, uh, I'd go to work, I'd come home, I'd write, I'd write till I went to bed. I get, and I, I did, it was just a vicious circle. And I was able to put out 54,000 words in uh, somewhere around three weeks. Wow. wow. That's amazing. But it was so fresh in my mind. It, everything was so vivid that uh, I was able just, just to, to pour it all out there yeah. as well as I am the second book. Awesome. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, we're definitely, we, we definitely want to have you back on. For we, sure. Yeah, I'd be more yes. than happy to come back on. You guys are very, very nice, gracious people. I can tell you're both di- wonderful people. Yeah, thank you. Thank you're, you. You're the same. I mean, and, and everything that you've been through, man, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in that area. We can't area. cover all that in an hour. I know. 
you know. Plus, we can get them on to talk about the dangers of paranormal. You yes. Know, because a lot of people go into this for the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not an amusement park. Right. You know. Exactly. It, you know these show these shows on TV. You know they. You know. They show the the all the ooh and ah and, yeah. and you know sometimes the, the screaming yeah. starts you know <laughs> but you know it's just a show and they and they and they got to keep it amped up just a little bit yes yeah to keep because viewers. they got to keep their sponsors yeah. right I haven't got any sponsors <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what the story is right and right? whether you want to believe it or not that's fine I don't care in fact I have you know people that tell me all the time oh, I don't believe in all that hooey I'm I'm a full blown skeptic and I say to them God bless you right. <laughs> Stay exactly where you're at. You are probably in the safest place that you can be in right now. Right. Because as I call myself Dark River, Dark River is the little group name, which I haven't even got a group, but it's Dark River. Because this thing called a paranormal, it flows everywhere. It flows wide. It flows narrow. It flows deep. It flows shallow. Right. And even if it's only an inch deep and you put your feet into it, you cannot see your feet because this is the blackest hole that you've ever put yourself in. You know, there are undertoes and undercurrents that will take you away if you're not careful. And if you don't really step back and examine what you're doing, you know, every time something happens in your life, you got to think back. Okay, I just investigated a place a week ago. Did that have something to do with what's going on with my life right now? Right, and right. I've, I've done that and many times. I've asked myself that question. That's when you got to reexamine yourself and and maybe decide. Yeah, you know, I'm not a churchgoer, but maybe you know I should find myself in a pew someplace, you know, and and just and do a little bit of a cleansing spiritually and 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 find your way back home, as I call it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have to step away from from it sometimes you, and not let it take to. over your life and uh, you, know. you know i would many times after investigating the inn i would go into the woods and i played the native american flute i'm part cherokee indian um and i would do smudgings but i never felt like i was really clean i felt like i had been i basically taken a bath in, in dirty bath water uh-huh. but when i came back to where i lived to a place where i knew and I and I did that little ceremony and and played my flute and, and reconnected with God for the first time in seven years. I actually felt liberated. Good, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is. That's good to know because yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm big on smudging myself. See, that's yeah. why that's why <laughs> we do what we do because I like to hear people's experiences and that's what makes the paranormal the paranormal. Really, it's someone's experience. Yeah. So we don't need, uh, you know, some of these great big, <laughs> I'm not even going to say their names, these, these big paracelebs. They've all got to make a living though, yeah, right? That's right. right. That's right. We're, we're not going to mention them and they can keep doing what they do, but I really love getting, you know, down and and... I just really love talking to people like you so I can get the experience. And well, thank you. I, I sit that. I sit here with uh, Ronnie and we just we're like in awe. It's like, man, I can't believe this happened right? to we're this like person. You know what I mean? Other, like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what's great for us. But Alan, it's, it's been very humbling. Thank you. It's been fantastic. Yes, it and has. I'm gonna have Ronnie get a hold of you about a uh, signed copy of your book. And yes. we definitely are gonna have you back on. Yeah. 
Yes. That'd be great. And, and I'm waiting. All right. Whatever, whenever you're ready, I'll be here. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank okay. you, sir, so much. And you have a wonderful evening. You too. All, All right. Bye-bye bye. now. Bye. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us tonight, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and follow to receive notifications when new content from Paranormally Podcast is made available. If you believe you have something paranormal happening in your home or business, or you believe you may have witnessed a UFO or UAP, please send us your story, your photos, videos, questions, suggestions, and your comments to paranormallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us at www.paranomalypodcast.com for more content and information, including all our social links. Hey, thanks again for watching and listening, and I hope that you tune in for next week's episode of Paranomaly. Hey, a word of caution. Paranomaly Podcast and its affiliates or hosts do not verify or check the validity of any person, team, or its members. Paranomaly Podcast highly advises that you proceed with caution when contacting any person or team before allowing them and having them into your home or business. A legit paranormal research and investigation team will never charge you a fee to investigate your home or business. They do, however, accept donations to help further the research and investigations if you so choose to do so. All right. Thanks, everybody.